Compton, California is the home of roughly 105,000 residents. The properties in Compton range on an average at $400,000. The average household median income is about $48,000. Most families in Compton are surviving from paycheck to paycheck to hold on to their investment of home ownership. While inflation of the economy for the past 12 months, ending in November 2019, is at 2.05%, it's very hard to hold on to the American dream. With mortgage, home insurance, and property taxes, providing for a family can be difficult. Compton has just had an increase on its property taxes in November 2019 due to the selling of a bond acquired by Measure S. Measure S is a $350 million school bond that has been taken out of taxpayers' money to fix the infrastructure of the dilapidating schools in the Compton Unified School District. Compton voters voted on this bond because it was told to the residents that Measure S would fix all of the deteriorating infrastructure of the Compton schools. Compton residents are paying on two bonds from the Compton Unified School District. If the board members of the Compton Unified School District, Micah Ali, Charles Davis, Satcher Zarita, and Superintendent Darren Brawley were masterminding the biggest heist of all times. The Compton Unified School District would announce Measure S, a $350 million school bond that would cost taxpayers close to $1 billion to pay back over the span of 30 years. We in here, yeah, we in here, cause we been here. We in here, yeah, we in here, cause we been here. We in here, yeah, we in here, cause we been here, rid of us now. We in here, yeah, we in here, cause we been here, rid of us now. We in here, yeah, we in here, cause we been here, rid of us now. That's it. Uh-oh. <laughs> it is Monday, and you know what that means. That means it is time for another episode of Black versus the Board of Education. My name is Miss Laureen, and I welcome you to this place. Um, before we get started, that, that opening video was a lot to take in. So this week, we're talking about getting in the game. We're going to be talking to Mr. Jordan, I'm sorry, Denzel Jordan Perry, who is running for Compton School Board. And as you see, he has a huge task in front of him. So before we get started, let me go ahead and get some introductions. Melissa, we are going to start with you today. Hi, everyone. My name is Melissa, and I'm a 15-year-old sophomore in the Southern California area. Miss Jada. Hi, guys. My name is Jada. I am a homeschool junior in the Elk Grove area, and it's so good to be back. Miss Adia. Hey everyone, my name is Adia and I'm a junior in the Sacramento area. Samuel. Hello, my name is Samuel. Um, in fifth grade. I'm awesome. homeschool. You homeschool too, see? Just saying. And Miss Janice, you'll round us off. Hi, my name is Janice. I'm a sophomore here in the Sacramento area. 
Well, I'm so glad to see y'all uh, because we got a lot to talk about. Not only do we have a special guest in the building, I'm going to wait for him to turn on his camera so I can know that he's ready. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so we're going to add Mr. Perry to the stage. Um, oh, Lord, here we go. Which one of y'all did that? <laughs> we're going to add Mr. Perry to the stage um, and... Uh, we're going to let him introduce himself. So welcome to Black versus the Board of Education. You take it away. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, my name is Denzel Jordan Perry, I'm born and raised in the great city of Compton um, and currently running for school board in the city of Compton, um, but definitely looking forward to this conversation and love anything to do with education. So thank you guys for having me and looking forward to, to chatting with you all. Well, we're glad that you're here because I'm sure that they will have some questions once I start us off. So yep. I just want to know just straight out the gate, how old are you? That's a great question. I am 27 years old. 27 years old and you're running for school board. Why did you decide to run for school board? Because uh, I like to keep my blood pressure high. No, I'm joking, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no seriously, though, um, born and raised in Compton. Um, and a lot of times when, you know, growing up, a lot of people always kind of looked up to our, our NBA basketball players, our NFL football players, um, our next music artists and things of that nature. Um, but I've been on this mission since I was a, a kid in Compton around changing what a black, what the definition of a black educated man is. Um, mm -hmm. And really using that as an opportunity to come back to my community to implement change. Um, you know, I came up in the Compton education system, um, all public schools in Compton. And so now that I'm in this point in my life where I have the ability to give back, um, this is my way of doing so. I'm really helping to kind of light a fire underneath our school district to, to elevate our game so that we can provide more to our students. Now, before we jump into your uh, school district, um, I think we have to understand the cast of characters. Yeah. So can you kind of tell us as someone who's lived in the area and you kind of see what's going on, yeah. um, is, can you kind of tell us about the makeup of your school board as it currently stands? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so currently our school board consists of seven members, um, all of which um, are, are seven black members on a school board. Um, age bracket wise, I will be the youngest person elected uh, to Compton Unified School District Board of Education. Um, in the history? So in the history, yes. Wow. Okay. So um, definitely is, um, and I'm not a politician at all. Uh, so I'm coming from a very different, different mindset. Um, you know, I think our current makeup on our school board, if I'm being very, you know, candid, um, it's, um, we have some people on the school board who really want to do some great work and, and push change. And then we have, you know, individuals that are constantly blocking them in that same sense. And so, um, our goal is to really kind of move politics out the way and put our students' futures and our student educations at the forefront. Um, you know, I think when I made this decision to run, it wasn't necessarily about anything to do with me, but it was more so how can I be a beacon of hope for the youth in Compton uh, to the kids who put on their backpacks, walk out their house every single day and want a safe, modern school to be able to show up to um, mm -hmm. is where my heart was driven from. And so in the, in the opening video, it looks like there are a lot of school campuses struggling um, within Compton. Um, and it sounds like there were some things put on the ballot um, to beautify in another way, in, an, in other words, the campuses. Do you know if any of those campuses have received any updates? 
Yes. Yeah, so um, the only campus that mainly been impacted by Measure S, uh, which is a $350 million bond that was taken out um, in Compton to rebuild Compton High School from the ground up. Um, they started, they actually knocked down the entire campus already. Um, and so have some um, plans for improvement on that campus. Um, my focal point is also too that $350 million to rebuild a, a school site. Yes, it's great to have new schools in the city of Compton, but I think we need to take it a step further. Um, that really helps us rebuild and re or give a facelift to all of our schools um, in the city of Compton. In addition to that, uh, really looking at it as a standpoint of how can we reach that goal without making additional tax dollars or tax commitments uh, for the people who live in Compton. So Compton is one of the highest tax cities in the county of Los Angeles. Um, so additional measure um, taxes make it number one with, with property costs being so much and cost of living in LA being so much, making it pretty much impossible uh, for individuals to actually purchase homes, especially in the city of Compton. Once people get over that goal, they now are blocked with so many tax property taxes on their homes as well too. And so my goal is to really look at how can we, you know, raise the bar of our school sites on a facial standpoint, um, mm -hmm. but then also um, limit that impact on, on property taxes and confidence. Yeah, so it sounds like, so let me ask you this, the people that are currently occupying seats on the school board, are they, uh, what are the term limits there? Yeah, so there's no term limits on Compton School Board. Um, they are uh, four-year terms. Uh, most of which, um, you know, are, are run for re-election in their seats. Um, I actually lucked up and has no have no incumbent for my my campaign for my election in trustee area A. There's currently no one sitting in a seat, and so um, because of redistricting and, and moving company unified into a district structure um, allowed it to be this vacant seat. So we're running against you know essentially all new people to the game, but um, you know looking forward for that piece. Okay, so Samuel, you have your hand up. So I, I looked it up. The average cost of building the school is about $15 million. So three hundred fifty million million, 15 per school, that's about what? You have to do some math. 120%. About around probably like 20 schools right about that so yeah it's good but you need just the infrastructure isn't going to change the education of the students as well as the graduation rate of the students so you need improved equipment as well as improved curriculum instead of just building a new school and then acting like that's gonna fix everything so so do you have a plan <laughs> to address what Samuel's talking about? <laughs> yeah, and I agree with Sam. Uh, what you say, Sam? What was the last thing you said? That's what I was asking. Oh, okay. That's what I was asking. You have a plan. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Samuel. And I appreciate you asking that question, too, because I think that's something that a lot of people in Compton is questioning, right? How is $350 million is going to be spent? Um, and like you saw in a video, that's going to cost the city or, or people in the city a, a billion dollars to pay a back. Um, you know, what is what is our end goal in that result? And so, yeah, I think the first thing, number one, since we already took out the bond and have that contract in place, is really just holding the, the, our superintendent in our school. And so as a school board member, you have one employee, which is the superintendent of schools. 
Um, and so really working through the superintendent, holding, putting those level of accountabilities and asking the right questions that help drive our, our results forward. And so I think the part of it is to raise the bar, not only in the structural improvements, but making sure that we raise the bar when it comes to curriculum as well, too. Um, I was visiting my old high school a couple of weeks ago, and it was interesting not to realize that President Obama hasn't made it to our history book yet. And so, and that they were using the same history books that I used when I was in high school over 10 years ago. And so mm. when we're looking at how history is made on a day-to-day -day basis and that being a fundamental part that, um, you know, we need to address, uh, making sure that our curriculum, our, our training and development opportunities and the resources that we have our school sites go 10 times further to make sure that we meet the new demands at, in addition to having a facial uplift. Okay, Sam, hold on, right. hold on real quick, Sam, and we're gonna go to uh, Janice and then Jada, and then we'll come back to you, Samuel. Go ahead, Janice. Okay, so I definitely, it sounds it sounds really good. It sounds really good, but uh, we hear a lot of things that sound good on a day-to-day -day basis. So going into this, I have to, because you're gonna be, for one, you're going to be the youngest. And for two, you are going to have things and more so aspirations that you want to occur, but don't you also have to be in um, collision with your other members that are on the committee? So what would be your strategy to getting them on board with your plan and being able to communicate this effectively? Because the way that they took this out to, from the city and now having the citizens pay back um, how much, a billion dollars in tax dollars, it didn't seem like they were too considerate of the people of the city. Mm. So what are your plans coming in to try and help them maybe change a perspective, come in with new ideas? I kind of want to pick your brain and brainstorm and like, what are your ideas for that? Because it sounds good, but actions, actions, yeah. you need action. That's a great question. Um, and so the, the biggest thing, number one, is that this is a pivotal time in, in Compton Unified's history. There's four seats up for re-election. Um, one of which is going um, with no incumbent, the second of which the incumbent actually retired. Um, so this is an interesting time and I think a pivotal vote for, for people in Compton because this four votes can change the direction of school district tremendously. Um, and so I think my first part is once, you know, jumping into office and we're going to go ahead and speak that into existence, but jumping into office, number one is really sitting in that seat of inquiry and seeking first to understand and to be understood. One of my favorite books is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And so I think a lot of times the challenges that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis is that everyone feels like they have the answer and no one wants to sit in the seat of inquiry and understand the exact challenges that we're facing um, on multiple different fronts. So I think the first jumping into office, really meeting with our stakeholders, meeting with our superintendent, meeting with the other members of the school board, and then working towards together to come up with a strategic plan that will get us to our goal um, of, of all the things that I laid out earlier. Um, so really bringing that level of structure into place. But I think the second part is there's three different government bodies in the city of Compton. So um, you have Compton Unified School District, you have Compton Community College Board of Trustees, and then you have the city council as well. And historically, those three government bodies typically don't work together. Um, and so one of the things that I'm proposing and wanna run with is on the grounds of really unifying our city um, leadership structure. Um, so that we're because all three of us affect property taxes on a whole nother mm -hmm. level. All three of us affect safety on a whole nother level. All three of us affect the future of our city on a whole nother level. And so really focusing on number one, unifying the board, um, but number two, unifying our city and our government structures in the city so that we're working towards a common plan and a common goal collectively. And then the third thing I would say 
is really going back to this area of rebuilding trust. And I think exactly what you said, um, there's so many different things where we heard so many things that sounds good. It sounds good when someone's running and then when they get in their seat, you're sitting back and like, all right, so you, you ran on change, where's the change now, right? Um, and a lot of times it's things out of their control and then it's some things that are within our control. And so I think the piece of it is really focusing on the idea of how do we rebuild trust within our community? How do we make sure, because, you know, the same result, a lot of people has been fed up with the, I guess, the the lack of progress in Compton, uh, that they, our enrollment numbers are down. And a lot of times we will throw out because it's because of COVID, uh, but it's beyond that. I think it's really going into the standpoint of a lot of people aren't comfortable with our schools. And so as a result, they're sending them to uh, private schools. They're sending them to charter schools. They're sent, using different addresses to get outside the district. Um, because people lost faith in that, that company unified education. And so uh, really going back to the ground foundation level of rebuilding trust, uh, not only unifying our board, but rebuilding trust for the people that lives in our community. Jada. Um, I believe I lost the comment okay. I was going to make. So let me get back to you. So, you know, I, in, in, while, um, hold on real quick. I know Samuel, give me a second. Um, the thing that I want to point out, and a lot of times people think when we get folks who are Black in leadership positions, the trajectory for Black children or children in general, but Black children specifically changes. And so what I saw was people that are worried about themselves and not worried about the people. That's how you can enter into a, com a conversation or a contract on behalf of people who will have to pay it back um, without their input. And so I have, a, I mean, and yeah, they, they voted on it, but did they understand what they were voting on? It was like a bait and switch. Okay, we're going to improve the schools. Vote yes for this and we'll go ahead and take care of that. And that's actually not what happened. So um, again, all skin folk and kin folk, uh, we are not just electing people because they're black. We are going to hold them accountable to answer to the people when it comes down to who and what they're running for. Go ahead, Samuel, what did you wanna add? So I was going to say, because of your ex, uh, your experience in law and criminology since you went to law school, I was asking how are you going to improve the school, the school to prison pipeline in Compton since you're going to be a school board member? That's a great question. That's definitely a great question. I would say that, you know, my, my eagerness or my drive behind going to law school had to happen uh, when I was young, actually, when I was probably in elementary, middle school, um, and I didn't necessarily know the law was the way in which I was going to go. Um, just a, a, a brief background, born and raised in Compton and Watts. I, I claimed them both because uh, both was very pivotal in my life. Uh, we moved from the projects when I was in third grade and moved to Compton um, and then lived there ever since then. Um, when I got to, I want to say, high school at the time of my freshman year, I did not know I wanted to go to college. Uh, my GPA was a 1.6 um, and college was a, a very far street that I was not paying attention to. My sophomore year, there was this teacher named, this counselor named Ms. Moore uh, that sent me on a, and I, I say her name because I think it's important to give people their roses while they're living. Um, Ms. Moore took me on a college tour um, mm -hmm. up to UC Berkeley, up to the Bay Area uh, for about a week. And while we were on that college tour, I went to San Jose State. That was the first school I stepped foot on. 
And on this campus, there was this statue of two black men in the middle of the of the campus, which I'm sure a lot of you all know the uh, statue I'm talking about regarding like John Carlos. And it inspired me. It made me like realize like, hey, you know, I, I can do this. Um, I came back from high school. I came back from that college tour and to bring my GPA up from a 1.6 to graduating with honors um, and then got accepted to every school I applied to besides one school, which was San Jose State. <laughs> I remember like calling my counselor like, hey, like I got I got rejected from San Jose. Can you call them to see if it was a mistake? And Ms. Morris like Denzel, you got into UC Irvine, UCLA, Berkeley, Stanford. I'm like, yeah, but what about San Jose State? That's where I want to go. <laughs> Um, and they so, missed out. Yeah, they missed out, right? <laughs> uh, and ironically, my little brother ended up going to San Jose State the next year. I was like, man, you just had to show out. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, in that moment, that one person changed my life. And that one person made me realize that, hey, this was this was possible. Um, a lot of my friends growing up didn't have the same the same directory. A lot of them out of my five best friends four of them are deceased and the fifth one just was recently released from a 10 year sentence in prison. And so when growing up and now at 27, I've been to about 63, over 63 funerals in my lifetime. And a lot of times it was people that were my age. And mm-hmm. so it's, there's this line of prison uh, school to prison pipeline, but there's also a line of individuals not feeling safe going to school. Just recently this past weekend or two weekends ago now, there are four people killed in, in Compton over the course of the weekend, one of them being a 16 year old kid walking home from the store. And so when we see these things happen, a lot of times we focus on the, we, we focus on well, what was the kid doing out walking home or what was this versus our responsibility to provide a safe haven for kids to be able to do things. Um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to go to school in, in places like Irvine and Atherton and, you know, no one's walking down the block questioning why someone's walking at midnight walking home, but yet a kid in Compton doesn't, doesn't supposed to be doing that. I don't feel safe doing that. And so um, to get back to your question too, Sam, because I know I went on a full tangent, um, you know, my, my focal point is just re-reinstilling hope in our communities, right? Uh, really being a beacon of hope and a beacon of light inside of our schools, and then really focusing on how do we change the way in which uh, we operate. Um, I think I really do believe in this idea of or that there's this level of broken window theory in, inside of Compton in which we have schools where the the spikes on the gate point inward to keep people in versus pointing outward to keep people from coming in, right? So mm-hmm. if you walk into a school and it looks like a prison, um, of course, it's showing you exactly where the intention is for you to be later on in life. I think one of the things I, I disagree with tremendously, the tallest building in Compton is the courthouse. So for a kid walking home or walking to school, every single day they're looking up to this monument in their community and it's the courthouse and the memories there are unpleasant. And so I think of those areas of changing those realities and changing out of that broken window mentality um, that we have in our city, providing the resources and the skill sets for students to reach their dreams. And then also making sure that they graduate from high school with the plan for the future and a skill set to actually accomplish that plan. And it really starts in elementary, middle and high school and really realizing that we have to change the way in which we approach education today. And um, I have a personal question for you. Um, In the school system, have you ever experienced any negative interactions with teachers? Or even if you didn't, do you know anybody that has? Because I know you look around or if you've ever, you know, open the news or anything like that, um, you see a lot of these negative interactions that black students have 
with teachers and staff in the school system and how flawed it is and how easily they're able to get away with it, but how they're harshly punished. Um, do you think also, do you think that when you do see those things, does that kind of motivate you to use the position that you're in to do better and to change whatever you see happening? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think of the experience in sixth grade. I had a teacher named Hussein that told me every single day that I was stupid, dumb, and would never accomplish anything. And it literally got to a point in which we'll be in class and my friends from that time still remember this taking place. And she'll be like, who's not going to make it to anything in life? And she'll make the whole class say Denzel. She'll be like, who's going to be living on the side of the freeway? And she'll have the whole class say Denzel. Um, and that happened throughout my sixth grade year. Um, and it's something that still is in the back of my head that I think about often. And I share that experience because, you know, I now have a voice to be able to speak up about those moments. Um, but there's so many different kids and youth in our communities that are struggling in silence. And so, you know, in those particular areas, like I want to be that voice for those young people. I had another educator my senior year um, that tried to prevent me from graduating um, at, at with no merit to the reason. Um, and so there's situations like that that comes up in which people try to um, block our students or hold them back. Um, but then I had teachers like, you know, Ms. Warren and teachers like Ms. Mason and teachers like um, so many others that really helped shape my whole future. Um, they poured into me. They told me they believed in me and they saw what was happening um, and addressed it head home with me. And so I'm very thankful for the people that like was that shining example. But there are these different people that sneaks into our education system that is preventing students from being able to be themselves and thrive in, in the excellence that they are meant to do. I'll share experience. I had a teacher, um, a professor actually in college that told us a story about um, her son being in um, this, this private elementary school, or it's actually a private preschool. I think the school costs close to about 60,000 a year. Uh, so the fact that they're, they're, the, the preschool elementary school is the same cost um, as my college tuition, <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the things that she shared was uh, there, her son was um, underneath the table um, drawing, and she used this terminology about proximity to whiteness, right? And she was talking about her son was underneath a, a table drawing on a table. Wait, before that, I'm sorry. The teacher told the students, hey, you can draw any sheet of paper, just don't write on the desk, right? So don't write on top of the desk. And so the student is writing, her son is writing on the paper, realized he filled up the paper. And his mindset was, she told me not to write on top of the desk. So he got underneath the table and started writing on the bottom Aww. of the table. And so, so mom was called, came into the thing. And of course, mom didn't have a, a privileged background at all. Um, and when a teacher, when a when principal sat down and said, hey, told the story, your son was writing underneath the desk. And she instantly got frustrated because she's like, what is he doing? Why is he doing that? Like, right, going to that that mom instant of what you know most of us experienced, right? Um, and her response, the principal's response was like, oh, it's not a negative thing. The fact that he thought of it, we think he has a gifted mindset and we want to get him tested for this gifted program and this, this, and this. And it was just like this huge accolade because how he think. But in our education system in K-12, if we did something like that, we'll be suspended, expelled, and we're not embracing this idea of creativity and like onward thinking. And so I think those are the areas in which I really want to challenge our schools to relook at, not saying let's have every kid draw at the bottom of the desk, but let's realize that people learn differently and let's celebrate the way in which they learn and which they express their education. 
I was about to say, he followed directions. He didn't write on the desk. <laughs> right. Exactly what they told him to do. <laughs> exactly. Come on, Adia. <laughs> um, yeah, so I actually just had a question kind of jumping off your experience with different teachers. Um, so kind of first, I guess, first question. Sorry. Um, do you think culturally incompetent teachers are a problem in Compton Unified School District? And then a follow-up from that, because I think I know the answer. Um, what is your plan to kind of aiding that, not only in terms of like teachers who are currently in the schools, but also like a new hiring process? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say it's definitely a diverse mix of, of educators in that space, right? You have these educators who love, believe, breed Compton, like just care so much about the city. Um, where we have teachers that have been in the school district for 30 years and, and isn't going anywhere. And trust me, they're not staying for the pay, but they're staying because they, they care about kids' lives, right? And then you have teachers who kind of come in with this mentality of, hey, I'm the teacher and you need to listen to me and don't necessarily how to understand how to embed into that culture, that I do think there's need to be a level of our hiring process. So my background is all in HR. Um, so I'm a, a human capital leader. I currently work as a VP of HR for a nonprofit here in LA. And so my my focal point is figuring out how can we really take diversity, equity, inclusion, um, not from just a, a tagline um, project or a tagline that we're using, but actually implement it in a way in which we've approached our hiring practices to make sure our, our students have culturally competent, you know, educators that are, our students have access to teachers that look like them, right? And that, you know, can really pour back and pour into that space um, so those are a couple of different places in which, um, and then also on top of that, that our, our district, our school board, our, our educators, our, um, you know, administrators, they all also re reflect the community in which we're, we're working in. Melissa, you've been quiet today. What you going to say today? I'm just, I'm, I'm taking in all of this because I really admire the lengths that you've gone to make sure you're in this position and impacting people that are students that were just like you at one point. I'm really taking it in. A question, it's kind of like what Sam asked earlier about um, the school to prison pipeline. You kind of touched on it, but it was about rebuilding trust with the community. Um, and my question is, how do you plan to not rebuild trust, but stay in touch with the community? Because we see a lot of people who say these things, like Janice said, but then they get into these positions of power and they still do the things that they said they were going to do, but they fall out of touch with the community that they came from and yeah, where they came from. So my question is, how do you plan to stay in touch with the community? That's a great question too. I would say really, number one, um, is being like engaged in the community. I have, like, like coming from an HR mindset, um, I have an open door policy at all times, which means that our community, our, our teachers, our educators and different people can always just tap in and, and be engaged and and feel create that space in which they feel comfortable coming to me and having conversations with me. Um, the second thing is really, you know, although I sit on a, a desk as a, a school board member, realizing my job doesn't stop at that desk and like really being present at, at teacher meetings, parent present at school events, present at whether it's a basketball game or a chess competition, uh, whether it's, you know, actually showing up to um, professional development sessions at school sites. Uh, so really being that school board member that's engaged on a day-to-day -day basis so that I'm also hearing the information, not only from the desk, but also from our community as a whole. Um, and, you know, the great part about growing up in the community is that 
the community already have those relationships and there's more community members that I need to reach. Um, but really being that person that now currently shopping at the stores and in my community, going to go eat at community restaurants so that the community see me out and about. And if they have questions or want to talk about it, I'm just have that accessibility or that availability to make things happen and not putting in a space where you have to schedule a meeting with my scheduler six weeks from now, right? When the problem is no more relevant, like really addressing things head on in the space. Yeah. And I think that, Janice, go ahead. Following up to what Melissa had said, um, I kind of had more so like a, a penny for your thought to say it like very similar to that. Um, I wanted to really talk about like the um, the hit on the reinvestment because it's just like you say building trust, but I also feel like it's reinvesting into your communities because you can build a new building in each community. You can build a new school. But if the concrete that it's built on isn't solid, as soon as the ground gets shaken, everything's going to fall. So I feel like it's very important to talk about not even just curriculum, but getting in touch with your teachers, building those relationships, like as you stated, outside of school, but also being present when it comes to the relationship with the teachers, the relationship with the admin, because ultimately sometimes administration tend to um, pipe down children and kind of demean them to make them feel as if they are the only person that the child can come to. But making sure your presence is there to where kids know that if my admin isn't taking care of it, I can contact a school board member. And also being able to guarantee that children are able to not just get in touch with you, but get in touch with your fellow peers who sit on that that board with you, being able to have those connections, being able to participate in those meetings. For example, how sometimes we get on the EGUSD meetings and speak our minds, having that open table for parents who have complaints, for kids who have struggles. But I also think it's very important that there are more practical things that we're doing and that you're doing to make sure that these things actually come to par when you get in this position. Because I am a fan of speaking it into existence. So we're going to speak that you do get this position. And when you do, making sure that you are actually following up and being consistent because it's not about how you start. It's about how you do in five years from now, two years from now, and what you're doing actively in the community to help these children. Absolutely. I agree with you and I receive it all. Um, (laughs) I receive it all from the standpoint that, you know, I definitely think um, even when I was a student in Compton, I was tired of lip service. I always heard the, the, the things that happened. I was a, a student that would show up to the school board meetings and hear this level of lip service. So really going beyond that um, and not only so, and I think that's why our strategic plan is so important. So as we talk about our goals and beginning and, and the platform that I'm running on is making sure that that's used as a report card, right? Is that used at this point of at the end of this four year term, the community can come back and see not what I'm telling them what we did, but what the experience is that they're experiencing at that particular point. Um, and I think accountability is important too. So definitely, you know, I, not in, adi- in addition to the community holding me accountable to everything that, that I do as a school board member, and I'm also gonna challenge all of you guys to hold me accountable too, right? And follow- Oh, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry. Right, we're gonna definitely have some conversation <laughs> for sure. Uh, because my goal is not to represent myself. I tell people all that all the time. If I wanted to make a lot of money, I wouldn't run for office. Uh, it's, it's really to represent my community. I don't see anyone, you know, in my area, in my district, um, in my trustee area that's stepping up uh, from that standpoint. And so I need to be that person that steps up. And if I had faith 
in our school district, I, I wouldn't be running. I'd be focusing on my day-to-day -day career. Um, but the lives of our students is so much more important than, than my career. And so that's the reason why we're, we're diving into the space. And so you had a question, there's a question in the chat and it says, how do you attract culturally competent educators to a district or is this is something, a, or is this something the district can teach? And she's asking for her own district. So how do you attract them or, and is this something that can be taught? That's a great question. That's a great question. So I think number one is how do you attract? Uh, when I'm thinking about talent in, in general, from an HR perspective, number one is making sure that we actually have a, uh, uh, knowledge, skills, and abilities that we're looking for when we're hiring for a position. The second part is making sure that our, our pay is, uh, are, is attractive enough to be comparable to what we're asking people to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think number one, you know, is, is disheartening. I was going over salary scales with someone recently looking at what teachers make, a first-year teacher to a five-year teacher to even where they cap out at. Um, and for me, I think, you know, our teachers are just as important as doctors, right? Because although, you know, they're not in an operating room, they're in a classroom and can change the life of a student tremendously. Um, and, you know, in a in the very literal sense, my edu my teachers, some of my teachers growing up uh, changed my life and also saved my life. Um, I was the example I always give when I was walking uh, to the candy store, with my younger brother um, outside of the boys and girls clubs. Um, and as I'm walking, there are some gang members that pulled up, tried to rob us for our phones and begin to shoot at us. Uh, we ran fully speed racing, hopping over gates, trying to run from these guns, that, these bullets that were flying. Um, and a, a Boys and Girls School staff member who's also an educator, who's also a teacher, ran out and put her life in front of ours and saved ours, literally. And so when I see things of that nature happening and what I've seen teachers go above and beyond for, the way to, account, the way to attract any talent is number one with pay. Uh, making sure that we, number one, have, have a competitive package on benefit side as well as compensation side um, that makes a teacher want to say, hey, I'm going to choose to come to Compton. I want to be at Compton, and this is why. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is, is making sure that they have a district in which they feel supported. Um, a lot of times, you know, what you hear is us against so-and-so, us against the school board, us against the, uh, the, the superintendent, us against the, my principal. Uh, why does it always got to be a us against, right? And I think it's going back to the foundational part of building that level of trust in which people feel comfortable, confident in the, the people who are supervising and managing them. And then the last thing, having like real professional development opportunities. I was sitting down with my fraternity brother the other day who shared how many, for, how many professional development sessions he's been in in his entire life um, as, a, as a teacher. He's an educator. Um, and how many times he actually learned something from those professional development sessions. And mm -hmm. so really being meaningful in a way in which we set up those opportunities for that they can grow. And as a result of them growing, our students grow and our student experiences grow as well. Gotcha. Samuel. Okay. So I was going to ask you, since I know that one of your main points is to uh heighten the graduation rate in the in high school in Compton Unified School District. I was going to ask how is how are you going to apply your experience as a trustee to your your um as it being the school board member? How are you gonna uh, apply your experiences as a trustee to help the schools as a school board member? 
That's a great question. That's a great question. I would say when it comes to that um, particular point, uh, yes, one of my goals is to increase our graduation rates. Um, and a lot of times what I've seen in the past and one thing that I saw actually when I was in school was that we increased our graduation rates by lowering our requirements, right? And that's not an answer and that's not a solution to a problem. Um, so I think number one, making sure our students are competing to are competing on a level in which we want them to by not lowering their requirements, but by you know making sure that we they have the resources they need to be successful. Um, one of the ways, number one, is um, by engaging in our curriculum was one way, right? So really looking at the way in which we provide curriculum to students, uh, pouring resources into our schools and access to resources. But then the other part of it is dealing with the safe social emotional wellness as well as safety aspect of it that's often forgot about. Um, a lot of our students are dealing with a lot. Um, like I mentioned, you know, out of my five best friends growing up, four of them deceased, and a fifth one was just released from a 10-year sentence in jail. Like when I think about my experience, three of those deaths took place before I turned 18. And so I was navigating some tragic loss um, at, a, at a very young age um, that the schools weren't prepared to help me navigate. And it was hard for me to sit in a classroom being uncertain of my future and, you know, educators telling me, oh, you just need to focus or to apply yourself, but not dealing with this level of emotional tragedy or trauma that I'm dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, the former director of the CDC, Howard Spack, had made a comment um, several years ago, but he said that um, there's this underlying level of PTSD um, that communities of color are dealing with. And he was like, the difference between a youth growing up in communities of color versus a soldier. So his exact comment was, that youth are dealing with higher levels of PTSD than in some cases soldiers in the military. And they said the biggest difference is that um, soldiers in the military gets to leave their battle zone, right? They get to come home from that with you know different things. And yes, it was a traumatic experience, but for a kid growing up in Compton, Watts, South Central LA, uh, Detroit, or whichever area, you know, East Oakland, whatever area you wanna dive into, they never get to leave their, their battle zone. They spend their entire life our majority of their life in this traumatic experience. And so there's this level of social emotional wellness that we have to start dealing with before we can even come close to dealing with graduation rates uh, because we have to number one, allow students the freedom and the space to show up to class and focus on school, but they can't do that when they're thinking about their, their friend that was killed last night or when they're thinking about, hey, my mom is stressed out about how to pay the light bill or when they're thinking yeah. about, hey, how do I supposed to log onto the internet and I don't have Wi-Fi at home? or I don't have food in my refrigerator. And so there's this level of basic needs that we have to address. And I do think historically, you know, although people will say, oh, it's not the school district's responsibility, it is the school district's responsibility. And I think it's one of those foundational areas that we have to start realizing our scope of work happens beyond the classroom. It happens also in a student's home because that's a learning environment as well. So what I was gonna ask, because I like to manage expectations. So what are the limits of whatever perceived power school board members have? What yeah. can't they do? Yeah, that's a great question. So a school board member, like I mentioned earlier, have one employee, which is the superintendent of schools. Um, so it, the school board is responsible for designing um, policy, approving policies and procedures, and directly managing the superintendent. And the school board doesn't have control to go into a classroom and tell a teacher how to teach. Uh, we don't manage principals. We don't um, we don't have anything beyond as far as supervising structure beyond the superintendent of schools. Everyone else reports directly, either indirectly or directly to the superintendent. 
So uh, you guys cannot hire and fire. Is that correct? correct? We cannot hire and fire. Now we can approve layoffs and terminations and it does have to go through the board. So when a superintendent makes a call, they submit um, this into a board report and the school board will vote on it. Um, but we don't have direct control to terminate, to hire, to do any of those things. And I think that that's important because a lot of our community members do not understand that. They think that if they have a problem at a school, they'll just go to their elected representative and that person may be terminated or something like that. But that is not the scope of what your authority is. So I think that it's important to point that out. Um, number two, um, when you say you have direct supervisory uh, responsibilities over the superintendent, I think it's important to note that you would be one of seven votes. Yep. In order to remove that superintendent, you all would have to agree that that person needs to be terminated. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So, so we have to manage expectations and we have to teach our communities how these things go. So yeah. although I vote to elect you, you do not have purview over some of the day-to-day -day things that I need to have happen as a person in the community. Yeah. Okay. And then the other, the number three thing that I want um, to just put it out there is that as an elected representative, you work for the people. If the people do not vote you in, you don't get in. If yeah. they do not vote you out, you don't come out. So yeah. there is a responsibility that folks in the community have to get rid of certain people by exercising their right to vote. And so I just wanted to put that out there because I think that we have to put a nice little bow on certain things because I don't think that all the time we understand the scope of what someone is able to do. We don't understand how we play a part in that. And then we have to, as community members, hold our electeds accountable. There is not a time that you should be calling your elected official and they put you out six weeks. Absolutely not. If yeah. you accept that, that's on you. But yeah. you need to be at your elected office and you need to get in their face because you help put them where they are and they have a responsibility to you. But, you know, we're uh, I told y'all we had a couple of stories. I just wanted y'all to put your eyes on them a little bit. Um, and you are going into you want to go into uh, leading districts. And so I think it's important that we kind of dissect some of these together. So I have two specific stories and we'll start with this one right here. Check this one out. You've probably seen Child Q being talked about online, but if you don't know what it's about, here's the disturbing story. Child Q is a 15 year old girl who was taken out of her exam to be strip searched by police at her school in London while she was on her period. She was searched because it was thought that she had cannabis on her she didn't. The police officers knew she was on her period but still continued with the search. This was in late 2020 but a report into what happened came out last week which was highly critical of the police's actions. Child Q's family said that she's changed from someone who was top of the class to a shell of her former bubbly self and that now she's self-harming and going to therapy. The girl is black and the report said that racism was likely a factor in what happened. It's led to protests demanding justice for Child Q and better protection for black children. The Metropolitan Police has apologised, but campaigners want to make sure that what happened to Child Q never happens to anyone ever again. Okay, so Child Q, black girl, uh, she was on her cycle. They thought she smelled like marijuana because she was on her cycle. 
and they proceeded to strip search her at school, pulling her out of class, taking her her test, pulling her out of class and strip searching her. The teacher called police um, on her. And so, you know, when we're seeing these, first of all, I wanted y'all to see that it just isn't happening here uh, in America. It's hap it's it's a, a disease in the, of the mind everywhere. Um, but I wanted to kind of put our eyes on this. So I have mostly girls on uh, as my co-hosts. Um, I know like we, we've had our cycles for a while. I don't think I've ever smelled like marijuana, but okay. Um, do y'all buy it? Yes or no? I'll start with you young ladies. I don't buy it at all. I don't buy it at all. It's ridiculous. It's like they make up random stories or just random reasons to act how they act. And it's just like they do what they do. And then they put something on top of it to cover up their actions, to not reveal what really occurred, to not reveal what they actually had a motive for or what they actually were doing. And then it's just like the harassment. It's like they look the other way. Everybody looks the other way, but then in situations when people start protesting, when people start, um, what did they do? They were not lynching, but they were like lighting stuff up when they started messing up buildings and stuff. Then it was, oh, what do you got? What do you guys want? What do the people need? But when nothing is said about it, people don't know about it. This happened in 2020. It's been almost two years. And it was a whole pandemic. I'm I'm confused, but okay. Okay. I Data. don't I don't buy it at all because first it was was it a female teacher that called on her? Call the police on her. If it was a female know. teacher, you should know, you know, women go through cycles. You should know the difference. Even if you're a man, you should know the difference between cannabis, a drug, and a menstrual cycle. Like, there's a huge gap in between those. Like, yeah. I don't know how you mistaken somebody's period blood scent for marijuana. Like, that just doesn't click in my brain. They don't equal each other. Like, what? Melissa? I don't even know what to say because I saw this briefly and I didn't read into it and I scroll I, I don't remember what happened but I saw something about it briefly and didn't understand what was happening but like listening to the whole story I'm so confused like why and like what Janice was saying how they cover it up and they're trying to victimize the girl and saying you know well she smelled like this and she smelled like that so we did what we needed to do there was no reason to do that whatsoever. And then they apologize. You apologize for traumatizing a child. That does not take back what happened to her. That doesn't take back the fact that she is hurt and she's self-harming and now she has to go to therapy. She has lifelong trauma. And what happens when there's an, maybe another situation as she's growing up with the police or with authority figures and she's uncomfortable and she doesn't feel safe with people she should feel safe around. That's their fault and that's gonna stay with her for the rest of her life. And if she acts negatively to another situation with an authority figure, they're gonna try and blame her again and say, well, why is she being aggressive towards an authority figure when she should feel safe? When, at, when as a child and as a young lady, this was, she was abused by an authority figure. And real yeah. quick, real quick, one of the my major things is just like, especially with like police officers and the people who are here to serve and protect us, especially towards black children, it's like they do things that lead to years and lifelong of PTSD, trauma, therapy, other things that cause us to feel like in horrible ways. But then when it comes to them, their reprimandment is a probation period, or they're going to be looked at, or they're going to have a talking to. I don't like that. A okay, I have a quick question. I have a quick question. A strip search is when you remove 
clothing, right? Or am I tripping? Oh my God, that has to be so traumatizing for her, especially a girl who's on her period who could feel self-conscious about what she's going through and then being strip searched by strangers based off of a scent. Oh my God, I feel, mm, that makes me uncomfortable. Adia? Yeah, I want to get Adia and then I'll come to you, fellas. Give me a second. I'm just, it's so disgusting. Like, honestly, once you said that, I was just like flabbergasted, like, I don't believe that was the reason. Like, that is, like, the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And they made up a lot of stupid reasons before. And that was just, that was one for the books. Um, But, yeah, I just think that's crazy. And, like, I feel like, like, they're like, oh, we're sorry for it. But, like, what is she getting out of this? Like, if she has to go to therapy, I mean, they should be, like, she should get some financial stuff. But they should also, obviously, like, have to do some work, like, in the system and how they deal, like, with these type of cases and the officers. And I feel like there's so little being done. And, like, an apology is just not going to cover it. And I don't think that's what we should settle for. Samuel. So, my mom told me about this, like, a few days ago. It's reported that the officers told her when she had a towel on to take off her towel when they were doing the strip search. And she's a minor in high school. So... That's that's just that it's just adding on to the fire because you're you're humiliating a a little black girl, you're traumatizing her, and then you're adultifying her like she mm. like she's not a minor in high school. Come on, Sam. Come on with the adultify. That's right. <laughs> Mr. Perry. Yeah, and I think one of the things I wanted to add, um, and I, I agree with everyone everything everyone said already. Uh, one thing that pisses me off where it says where I, I feel it's an urgent need for change in our education system is where was the school intervention? So a teacher picked up a phone, they dialed 911, they called the police and the police reacted. And yes, I'm pissed off by that as well, too. But I'm also pissed at what point do the school intervene to protect the student? And I think that's one of the areas in which we have to look at as well, too, because for all that to take place, and the school not to intervene when things happen on a school campus, for sure in California, the school has, and, and school police officers, the ones that have jurisdiction on what happens in that classroom. And they report to the school board, they report to the superintendent who reports to the school board. So I think it's that level of accountability that needs to take place too on a school level, um, that something should have been intervened before it even got to this point. So an apology is not, not the answer to that, that, that answer, but what things are in place to prevent this from happening again in the future. Yeah, and I, I think that number one, as a, and somebody can take that comment off, um, the problem is as, as a, someone who was once a young lady, you're already self-conscious yeah. when you're on your cycle anyway. Um, and so if they thought something like that was going on, nine times out of 10, if it's somebody else, they, they'll send them home. So to add that extra layer of I'm going to subject you to <laughs> an unjust search, figure out that I was wrong and you actually were on your cycle, I'm just going to apologize for it. I think that they should be sued um, and somebody should be compensating her um, for the uh, emotional distress. That's just what I think. Um, and so I have one more story for you guys. I'm going to try to do this. Hopefully it works. Um, Uh-oh, who is that? All right. Let me see if I can get this to share. 
Oh, snap first. All right, check this one out, you guys. So you see, she nobody's checking her. Okay, so I don't normally show fight videos, but I had to show you guys that one because that teacher was there the whole time. She never once asked this girl who was the aggressor to stop. The moment the black girl comes to the, I think it was a young Muslim girl, the moment the black girl steps in to protect the Muslim girl, then you hear the teacher come into the frame and she's talking about stop. And then she puts her hands on her to pull the girl away who intervened, which is something she could have did at any point, and she did not. And then they pull the other girl away, and you saw the young lady who was on the ground, you saw her kicking. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've been to many schools, and they charge Black children for kicking at teachers, and they charge them with um, injury to a school employee. So... I'm, I just wanted to share that because I noticed that when she was hitting this other child, nobody said anything to her and everybody was watching. If you watch, um, and I'm not going to show it again, but if you were to pay attention to that video, you see two adults walking on the back wall. Nobody stopped this child from brutalizing that other child. And it wasn't until the black girl intervened that they got something to say. What say you? Sammy? Uh Sorry, Jada. <laughs> so it just shows white privilege. White people can go around. White kids, white people doesn't matter. They can go around punching people with no consequences. Nobody bats an eye. But when it's but when it, a black girl intervenes to to stand up for this person, whoa, whoa, whoa! We gotta grab them. We gotta detain them. And then you just leave the white girl there like she did nothing. What is this? Jada? I actually saw this a couple years ago when I was in middle school, I believe I saw this. And there were comments like, how are these going with the, like the white girl was sitting there causing harm. Matter of fact, she stepped away, turned back all of her friends laughing. Ki, 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 ki. She goes back and does it again. Nobody says anything until the black girl decides to stand up for the Muslim girl. And then all the friends are like, stop, stop, wait. And that white girl, when she got up, you could tell she was trying not to act face. She was just like, hm, I did that. Like, it is crazy how much white privilege that they have in these schools and how harshly punished black students are for not like whether she stepped in or not, she was defending somebody who's being attacked, but nobody wanted to help the person who's being attacked. Like, yeah. I come, I applaud her for standing up for somebody instead of being a bystander and watching and laughing. With her camera out, right? Um, and I, this apparently happened in 2021, um, but this has just resurfaced. I don't know the reason, maybe a, a case, a court case, or there's changes to the law or something where this video is now resurfacing. Melissa, I saw you come off mute. What did you want to add? 
Yeah, I was going to ask a question. Um, so in a lot of these situations where, you know, we see a black person or a black child intervening or where the black child is not at fault and someone else is at fault, we still see the black child getting the most consequences. So I don't know if we know this, but do you, we know if there were any consequences if the child was um, expelled or suspended and the white child wasn't? Do we know anything about that? I did not see anything about that. I was trying to look up, look that up, but nine times out of 10, we know the tape, right? Yeah. Um, and then they'll say, oh, well, we can't discuss what happened with the kids. That's their, their blanket. And, and that's probably true. But Janice, they all saw it and they were all videotaping it. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah for sure. Janice? The crazy thing is, is oh, we cannot disclose any information on the current investigation. The situation is still being looked into. But then we have all we, I'm sure we all know the black child was probably suspended. They possibly even tried to expel the girl. And then the white child, oh my gosh, she was defending herself. Maybe the Muslim girl harmed her before they started recording the excuses. You don't know the, the full excuses. story, right? Yeah, I, we, don't know, we don't know before. what happened before. Nobody knows, but we can't disclose that information anymore. These people are ridiculous, especially the white ones. I'm tired of them. Yeah, I think it's a, a level of transparency that our, our schools need in a sense that, yes, certain things like we can't mention stu student names or student permanent workers because there are minors, but there needs to be a different level of transparency that takes place in which we're transparent, not only with our community, about disciplinary records, about like things of how we how we handle situations on our campuses. But then also, you know, that if that teacher would have intervened or that staff member would have intervened early on, it would never evolve to this anyway. So what trainings, what follow-up do we also have from the educator standpoint uh, to make sure that we don't have these, these situations handled or the situations escalate to this? Um, even if it's that, you know, a teacher necessarily don't want, I'm not saying jump in front of violence, right? So like if they can't jump in or, or pull people back to the limits in which they can, um, which I would say, then what, what point did you call security? At what point did you realize that there are a problem or even realize that there was a conflict taking place in your classroom or in your space and at what point were you going to address it well i mean she didn't even give any verbal commands to stop yeah you know what i mean like that's the least you can do is give a verbal command yep. to stop and she didn't even do that until somebody jumped on the other girl and started pulling her off yep. um i just think that you know they don't see violence from children who favor them, they see violence from uh, folks who are responding to the violence that's being perpetuated. And we got to stop that. Um, and we have run out of time for today. Uh, thank you for joining us. <laughs> that wow. went really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining us today. Once again, this is uh, Denzel Jordan Perry. He is running for Compton School Board. Um, and we wish you the best of luck with that. And um, we hope to see you when we come to town in April, um, hopefully. Hopefully we'll get that dinner or something. So we're with that, you guys, what'd you say? I said we're going to make that happen 100%. Well, see, that's what we like to hear because I like to eat. So with that, uh, <laughs> we're going to hit y'all with the wave. I want to say hey to Miss Brandy. I see you in the chat. I'm sorry we didn't get to uh, say hello when you said hello earlier. We'd just be in, involved in the whole conversation. But we see you. Uh, hey, Tevin. So with that, y'all, we're going to hit y'all with the wave. We'll see you. Actually, we're taking the whole month of April off. Right. Y'all going to get a little bit of a break um, and then we'll be back in May. So uh, y'all enjoy your break and we'll come back big, bigger and better than ever in May. So y'all hit them with the wave. We'll see them in May. Check it out. <laughs>